you know, I want to do that for my clients because if there's any tax planning items that we can put into play earlier in the year and kind of get more benefit for them, I want to do that sooner than later. Learn modern marketing that you can use to grow your business in today's competitive landscape. This is Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. And welcome to Digital Marketing Masters. My name is Matt Rouse, and today my guest is the one, the only Greg Reed. Greg, how are you doing? I am doing good. Thanks for having me on. I am excited. And you know what's funny is I was telling my wife, Carrie, I was like, I'm going to be interviewing a CPA later today. And she goes, well, that sounds exciting. And I said, you know what? It is going to be exciting because I like saving money on taxes. And that's our topic today. You know, I'm usually not that exciting, but when I talk <laughs> to clients about saving money, their their ears perk up. <laughs> That's right. It gets exciting when you hear some big numbers coming in. And let me get just in, into your bio here so that people can have a better idea who you are. So Greg Reed has been working in public accounting for over a decade, focusing on helping small to mid-sized businesses with all things tax. And over the last years, he's been working with a lot of marketing companies, software companies, and franchises. And he's a big believer that the tax return is the end result of years worth of working together. And I'm going to ask you right out of the gate, what do you think is a good way for businesses, especially small businesses, to save on taxes? You know, I think it's really just starting from the ground up. I like to think of everything as, you know, building a house and, you know, starting with good records and then, and we can kind of get into this a little bit later, but, you know, good records and then making sure that you're structured the right way, you know, making sure you're getting the basic deductions, right? You certainly don't want to leave anything on the table. And then, you know, kind of just making sure that you're working with someone who really understands your specific situation so that they can kind of tailor some of the more specific deductions to, to you and, you know, what's going to work and, and all that. So, you know, it's really like a team effort all around. So if you've got a good foundation, you got your bookkeeping in order, you're reconciling all the things that you need to do with on the bookkeeping end. The next step would be in your house, I guess, is like framing, right? That's your entity structure. I've heard some horror stories about taxes because someone picked the wrong structure. Is that something that actually happens? Oh, absolutely. Oh, for sure. You know, people just sometimes they, they pick what, you know, their their neighbor tells them to do or they get some bad advice. And then all of a sudden they go to uh, sell the business or, you know, even in year one, they, they get hit with some taxes they didn't really know about. And, you know, they certainly could have been avoided if you just had some good advice. So that's pretty much the first conversation that I have with my clients is, you know, how are you structured? And then we kind of go down the rabbit hole there of, you know, does that structure make sense? And then, you know, if it doesn't, how can we unwind it or, you know, change it so that going forward, you don't get hit with taxes? And so it's a good idea for a business to talk to their CPA and say, I'm just starting this business and I kind of don't know where I'm going or like I have an existing business and maybe like I'm going to retire in a decade or I'm looking to sell it for some kind of exit in the next three to five years. That kind of information is what you want to give your CPA right up front, right? So you can get the right structure right from the start. Yep. Uh, yeah, we want to know pretty much the whole picture. You know, it's kind of I, I usually take my clients through an Internet interview process and we just kind of figure out, you know, where where you are, you know, if 
obviously, if I'm working with a, a younger client, they're not really too concerned with retirement and exit strategies. They're more concerned with, you know, growth and stuff like that, maybe bringing on investors. But, you know, obviously, if, I, if I'm working with a little bit older client, you know, they might be more interested in retirement planning, stashing away more money, stuff like that, maybe su- su- succession planning. And uh, so, you know, I think that's what I love most about taxes is that every client brings kind of something different to the table, right? You know, no, no one client is ever the same. And, uh, you know, definitely keeps it interesting. Nice. So what's the next step? You got your foundation, right? You got your record keeping. You got your like corporate structure, your entity structure set up correctly. What's the next thing to tackle? You know, for me, I just want to make sure that, you know, my clients aren't leaving anything basic on the table. Right. So really, you know, you want to make sure that you're running everything through the business. That way you can kind of hit all the meals. Obviously, you know, you can't deduct entertainment anymore, but I always use the analogy of a baseball game, right? You go to you go to Fenway Park. I'm from Boston, so I always use Fenway Park. But you go to Fenway Park, and you know the tickets cost a hundred bucks a piece. You know that's not deductible, but the the thirty bucks that you spend on a flat bear and a stale hot dog that that piece is actually deductible as long as you know it meets all the other business requirements. But so so yeah, you want to make sure that you're hitting all you know the basics. A home office. Not a lot of people. I feel like more people could probably get that one. It's not a huge deduction, but again, it's about not leaving the the little stuff on the table. You know, you want to make sure that you know you're taking the accelerated depreciation for uh, tax purposes on any assets you buy. Now, wait before we move on from there. What is accelerated depreciation for people who don't know? So the U.S. tax law allows us to take what we call accelerated depreciation, and that's either through bonus depreciation or what we call Section 179 depreciation. And basically all that means is that, you know, for book purposes, you might have to depreciate something over five, seven, ten years. For tax purposes, we'll just take the, the full write-off in year one. All right. So that would be like if I'm going to write off my computer over the next five years, I could just take the whole write off the first year. Absolutely. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And kind of get the get the bang. I totally should have done that because <laughs> I have a company that pretty much the only assets we have are computers. So well, digital assets, but. Yep. Yep. So and then you can even get a little bit more. You can get a little bit more creative with it, too. You know, when you get the invoices, if you buy, say you buy 30 computers, if you list them out, have the invoice shown that they're listed out separately, you can actually potentially write them off for the books and for tax. So, you know, from a tax standpoint, you, you pretty much it's pretty much stays the same. But on on the books, you could potentially write it off there, too. So you can, you can certainly get a little creative with it, you know, and then we kind of get into travel expenses. We want to make sure that, you know, maybe not now with with COVID, but we certainly want to make sure that, you know, the, the travel expenses are getting deducted and, you know, mileage and and stuff like that. So, yeah, those are kind of the, you know, the basics. And and then we can kind of get into some more of the, the fancy stuff. The fancy stuff that would be more like your cash accounting. We get into, you know, yeah, cash versus accrual. And I don't even know what accrual. I don't know what accrual is because I've always <laughs> done cash based. So what's the difference between cash accounting and accrual accounting? 
So cash basis is, you know, just what it is, cash in, cash out. You know, you recognize the expenses when the money leaves your bank account, whereas accrual accounting gets a little bit more complicated. But basically, you're picking up the income when, you know, you close the deal. You maybe haven't received the money yet and you're recording the expenses, you know, before you before you pay the invoice. So. Okay, so that's like you're recording it at the time that the sale was made versus with the time the cash was in your bank. Yeah, you're you're matching it up a little bit better with how with how you're closing the deals and, and paying for the expenses. I'm not even gonna guess why you would want to use one versus the other. I'm assuming that we just ask you <laughs> and you figure that out for us on our behalf. Yeah, just just leave it to me and, and we'll we'll figure it out. So something that we talked about a little bit before. What is the Augusta rule? So this is me, as you can see, I have the I have the golf clubs in the background here. For me, this is probably one of my favorite rules just because I like golf. But basically what the Augusta rule says is that if you rent your, your house or really if you, I mean, I guess you could rent your business too, but if you rent your house for less than uh, 14 days, then you don't have to pick any of that income up on your tax return. Now you can't take the offsetting expenses, but typically, you know, you're probably going to make more money on the tax savings. Is that 14 days a year? Yeah, 14 days a year. Okay. And what about adding children to your payroll? So I actually did this with a couple of clients this year and, you know, we saved a good chunk of change. So, you know, you have child labor laws, but the funny thing is, is that if you own a business and they're your kids, you can actually make them work as young as, as you want. So... <laughs> I always found that to be to be funny. Now, some states are a little bit more strict on that. But for for the most part, if uh, you have kids, you can you can take the you can pay them up to twelve thousand dollars, which is basically the standard deduction. And you don't have to pick up the income on your tax return. It's a great way to get money out of the the business. Then you just pay them into a, a joint checking account and you basically, you know, the business takes the deduction. You get to pull the money out tax free. And in some instances, it's not even subject to payroll taxes. So, right. Because I always thought that if you took it out as like owner's draw or something, then you're avoiding the payroll taxes. But I guess that depends on the size of your company, right? Yeah. And then that's where we get into, you know, entity structure a little bit too, you know, S-Corps, that, that's kind of the whole S-Corp deal. And then, you know, if you're a partnership, you know, pretty much everything's subject to what we call self-employment tax, which is kind of the tax that new businesses don't really know about until it's too late. <laughs> right. So kind of once you've got all that stuff in place and you've kind of got it figured out, you get the taxes done, then what are you doing like the rest of the year when it's not tax time? So for me, like a lot of this stuff happens outside of tax season, right? So I I think of it as like two two seasons. We have the tax compliance season, which is, you know, basically like January to, to April 15th. And then you have, for me, it's tax planning season, which, you know, after a couple of weeks of time off after tax season and coming up for air, we kind of get into tax planning season. And really, you know, I want to do that for my clients because if there's any tax planning items that we can put into play earlier in the year and kind of get more benefit for them. I want to do that sooner than later. So I like to talk to my clients pretty much right after tax season. Also, it's a little bit fresher in my mind. You know, I I take notes as as we go through tax season and, you know, churning through tax returns of, you know, oh, we should probably think of this. We should maybe do this, stuff like that, you know, and just kind of like building that pipeline. And then after tax season, 
we get into more of the, the tax planning stuff, which is you know a lot more fun for me, obviously, and hopefully my clients. Right. And that's the kind of implementation of all the notes that you had from doing the taxes. You can go then back and say whatever the changes need to be. So now let me take a little bit of a left turn. Obviously, pandemic's been here, you know, basically a year at this point. There's a lot of stuff going on. A lot of companies took like emergency funds, you know, and you know, for the record, we're talking about things for the United States. I know we have a lot of people in Canada that listen also, but there are similar things and similar programs in Canada. So talk to your Canadian CPA, right, for those cases. But in the United States, so you had the there's the PPP, right? Now there's PPP2. And then there was the disaster loan. There was SBA loans. Yeah, the EIDL. Yep. Yeah, there was credits for employee retention and some other programs. Do you want to talk a little bit about kind of how you account for all those programs and if they affect your your taxes? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we'll start with the PPP loan. That's the that's probably the most popular one. You know, it's the one that the news stations have really kind of hammered on. Yeah, you know, it was a little bit of a rocky start for them trying to get it all up and running. But, you know, they eventually did. And it did save a lot of businesses. And now, you know, we're on to PPP2, which is hopefully going to save even more businesses. So basically, I mean, when you get the loan, it's it's treated no different than you would a, a normal loan. It gets recorded. You start accruing interest, stuff like that. What makes it special is that you can eventually get it forgiven, assuming you use it for, you know, the right purposes, basically payroll, rent. You know, there's a couple others in there, but payroll is the big one. The I like to call it privatized unemployment. The whole goal was to make sure that employees stayed on payroll. So, you know, once you get into the forgiveness stage, now I will say it's really important to keep good records. What we did for our clients right off the bat is because we have we have an army of accountants behind us that, you know, are kind of in the books, closing the books every month. So we put together a spreadsheet for our accountants to fill out as they went along. And when it got time to apply for forgiveness, it was pretty much, you know, plug and play to say, okay, here are the records. Here's the summary. There's everything you need to give to the bank and apply for forgiveness. Now, I don't know how many... (laughs) People have not every business has, you know, accountants behind them that were doing that. So it's it might be a little bit trickier. But, you know, maybe for for PPP two, keeping those good records is is essential just to apply for forgiveness. Right. You know, an interesting thing, what our bookkeeper actually told us and, and we did was that we took our PPP loan. We put the entire amount into our payroll account and then we just wrote payroll checks from it until we had used it all for payroll, so it's super simple. But we have a small company. Now, the PPP2, and I don't know how much you are up on the eligibility requirements or if that's even something you do, but you can use the PPP2. Some some of it's for operating expenses and, and rent and things like that, but it also covers things like self-employed people, right? Like you can use it for owner's draw and contractor payments and stuff like that. Yeah, PPP1 did too, so you could take out up to... I think it was like twenty, 
20,000, I think they ended on 20 and change. And yeah, you can take it out for, for owner's draw. You basically treat it as a, as a payroll for yourself. Again, it depends on how you're structured, if that's how, how you do it. You know, it is capped at 100,000 in, in wages. So, you know, you, you are limited there. But yeah, you're, you're absolutely right about PPP2. There's, it's a little bit broader range on what you can use it for. And, you know, I think, well, then they came out with the simplified forgiveness as well. So for loans that are under 150000 it's kind of a, a one pager. I like to say it's the, the scout's honor that you, you did everything the, the right way. But <laughs> there's also the, the little checkbox that you check that says, you know, I, I swear to God, I did this right and if you come audit me and it's not then we're gonna get hammered <laughs> yeah they can always come back and audit you later right so yeah we'll see how that happens you know interestingly we just got our like email from wells fargo to say like about talking about forgiveness for the first ppp loan and i mean this stuff is not moving too quick but you know u.s bank and wells probably started accepting ppp2 in early february yeah. Yeah. It's it's been tough for the banks, right? They they got the they kind of got the short end of the stick because, you know, they Congress passed this law which was basically half written and then they had to apply it. They have to administer the loans, you know, they're they're kind of on the hook for it. Right. Yeah, I remember what a mess it was at the start. What about the what's the employee retention credit? So this one's an interesting one, and I don't think I don't it, it doesn't get as much um, media attention. So I don't think as many people know about it, but it's basically well, up until December 27th, when they passed the new law, if you didn't get PPP, you could take the employee retention credit if you met certain criteria, which is basically you had to shut down because of COVID or you lost a significant portion of your business revenue compared to prior year. Now, with they, they updated that a little bit. They extended it from January 1st of 2021 to June 30th of 2021. And you can actually, if you got both PPP and the employee retention credit, you can you know, actually use both of them. There are a couple of gotchas in there that you got to make sure that, sure about. But, you know, for the most part, it's a pretty good credit. It's, you know, you, you take it on your 941s, which is the, the payroll tax returns that you file quarterly. And it's up to $5,000 per employee against payroll taxes. And it's refundable, which means that let's just say your payroll taxes were, let's say, 8000 and the you took a credit of 10 you know, you'd get that, that extra 2000 back. Oh, nice. And that would come from, like, you'd file your payroll taxes, and then sometime in the future, they're going to mail you a check back, and, you know, unless you use it all for your future payroll tax or whatever. Yeah, there's, it's a pretty complex one, which, again, I, I, I think that's probably part of the reason why not many people are, really understand it. But I, I think it's one that could certainly be utilized for businesses that either maybe didn't get PPP or have employees that you know didn't qualify for, for PPP. So, Greg, let me ask you this. If you are a small business person, you know, maybe your business, I, I, I like to use the term accidental entrepreneur because that happens a lot of times, right? Somebody starts doing something, somebody starts paying them for it. They start growing their business. 
pretty soon there's there's money coming in. They're starting to figure out how can I hire some employees? How can I do all this stuff? When is the time for them to get a CPA involved versus maybe just a bookkeeper or they're trying to use QuickBooks or something? When's that time to involve a CPA in their business? I think from day one, you should have a CPA involved just because of, you know, getting things started and making sure, again, we go back to the foundation, you know, that, you know, you have the right entity structure, stuff like that. Of course, you also have to file your taxes, which is, you know, you want to make sure you're doing that right, too. You know, initially, you probably don't need a a full time bookkeeper or even a a part time bookkeeper. You know, you could do QuickBooks Online or, you know, some of the others out there and there's thousands of YouTube videos that you could do and, and kind of teach yourself. And the record keeping part is probably the piece that you don't need right away, but is certainly an asset to your business once you can afford it. But, you know, for as far as talking to a CPA, I would say as soon as you get the light bulb to, to start a new business, that's when you should call up your your local tax guy. My bookkeeper always says it's $60 an hour to do your books unless you've already tried to do it yourself then it's 100. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, sometimes we, we get we get some that need a significant amount of cleanup and yeah, our clients don't like that bill. <laughs> yeah, it's always more expensive to clean it up than it is to just get it done right in the first place, which I wish I had known when I started doing it. So, if you guys are out there doing it yourself, get somebody involved now who's a professional, honestly. It might seem easy, but not. That's right. Unless your business is bookkeeping or accounting. You have no business doing bookkeeping or accounting. Farm that out, people. <laughs> That's right. Farm it out. It's just wasting your time that you could be doing getting more customers. So, Greg, thanks you so much for helping us learn about all this stuff and, and taxes and COVID and, and business structures and things. If somebody wants to reach out to you and they have more CPA questions, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Best way is, you know, I always welcome emails. I actually, this funny story. So my email is pretty easy and it's also a, a pretty good one for accountants. So my name, Greg Reed, but it's G Reed, which is greed. And so you get greed, G-R-E-E-D at smartbooks.com. And so that's probably the best way to do it. And then, you know, I have, I, I think if you could link it up in the show notes, you know, I have a, uh, a Calendly link to, to meet me for a virtual coffee. So, you know, it's just a 20 minute sit down and you know, we just kind of chat about your business. And if nothing else, you get free advice for 20 minutes. Nice. And I will put that in the show notes. You can also get the show notes on your podcast provider at the bottom or else you can go to hookseo.com slash podcast. Greg, with Smart Books, thank you so much for being on the show and uh, helping us out and sharing your knowledge about tax accounting and structure and, and slave laboring your kids. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And yeah, hopefully we can do it again sometime. This has been Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. For notes and a transcript of this episode, go to hookseo.com forward slash podcast. Join us next week as we dive into more tips and ideas to grow your business. Digital Marketing Masters is brought to you by Hook SEO Digital Marketing. Our show is produced by Matthew Rouse and Scott Burson. Mixed and edited by Silent Outburst Productions. I'm your announcer, Daniel D. Craig. We would love to hear your thoughts. Please leave us an honest review with your podcast provider. Your reviews help us help more business leaders just like you.